0: The following message is by Pastor Peter Cho of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emanuelcommunity.org. If you were here uh, last Sunday, I preached on intercessory prayer and understanding God's will for us as we pray for others. A few of you came up to me afterwards and expressed how blessed you were by Charlie's message, and uh, I'm only half joking because nearly half the sermon was made up of Charlie's written testimony. But you know, I, I felt really compelled to share it because you know, what what a powerful witness of God's mercy in Charlie's life, um, miraculously healing him from this severe nerve disorder that really came out of nowhere and completely just disrupted his life. If you didn't get a chance to hear it, I I highly recommend you go back and listen uh, to the podcast or listen to it on our website. Uh, I think it will really minister to you, and not because it was a great sermon, but because I think it really testifies to the goodness and the glory of God. Amen. So, you know, when I asked Charlie if it was okay to share his update, uh, he said, yeah, feel free to use my update to testify to God's goodness. And, you know, I'm so thankful that Charlie was willing to let us all in on this sudden struggle that he was faced with. And, you know, if Charlie had chosen to make his illness nothing more than a family matter or a private affair, I think we all would have missed out on something great. Right, But in choosing to make his struggle known, I think God made himself known. And I think it's easy to forget the fact that, you know, one of the decisions that Charlie had to make early on when he became ill was how far and how wide he wanted to inform people about his sickness and who he should ask to pray for him. And, you know, I recognize that this is not an easy decision for a lot of reasons. You know, it's, it's hard to be in a position of need uh, to ask people for help. It's difficult to publicize your most personal prayer requests. And there are a few things that I think are as private as you know your personal health. And yet, and I believe this is exactly what God calls us to do within this community of faith, is to let our lives be an open book to a watching world. All our flaws, all our frailties, all our warts, all our weaknesses, And that is so that God might demonstrate his power in and through us. I think God desires us to be his witnesses. Living, breathing testimonies of the gospel. You know, when when Jesus returns to his disciples after his resurrection, uh, in Acts chapter 1, he gives them this promise. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you look at the map of those places, you begin to realize Jerusalem in the city of Judea, was just there's this expansion that Jesus is telling them of, that this gospel was going to be spread out once they received power from the Holy Spirit. And it was going to go beyond even Jerusalem where it all began. And this morning, I want to bring to light the importance of your lives, your stories as a witness for Jesus Christ, and how we might go about being living letters which testify to the glory of God. You know, God has chosen to involve us in this important work of spreading the gospel. And it's not just through information, but it's through incarnation. And what I mean by that is when God calls us to share the good news, it's not just about being able to explain clearly what the gospel is, information. It's about showing the world a life that has been changed by the gospel, and that's incarnation. Because a transformed life is the most compelling argument, the most powerful apologetic to a watching world. That is lost and searching for answers. Our text this morning comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And if you can advance to the next map, I uh, just want to show you where the city of Corinth comes from, where this letter was written. It was one of these churches that, uh, that Paul had planted and loved dearly. But it brought him, a lot of, brought him a lot of heartaches, it brought him a lot of headaches. It was you know, full of culture and full of commercial activity it was the site of many pagan religions and so it was it was like new york city uh, la and vegas kind of all wrapped into one and it was struggled with a lot of different worldly issues like division and disunity within the church sexual immorality and the abuse of spiritual gifts and it had a long long list of troubles And so Paul, who had planted this church, he had to address these issues. And as you can imagine, it it didn't really make him a popular person in the church. And so he had his share of detractors. And, you know, these were people who wanted to undermine his leadership. They wanted to quiet his voice. And so they would attack his authority as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And so Paul, he finds it necessary to defend himself and his ministry in this letter to the Corinthian church. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 verses 1 through 5 he writes this he says are we beginning to commend ourselves again or do we need as some do letter of recommendations to you or from you you yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all and you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us written not with ink But with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. Amen. You know, while the church in Corinth was generally supportive of Paul, as I said, there were some in the church that felt that Paul kind of talked a big game, but he was just talk. And so while they found his writings to be very bold and very impressive, when they found him as a person, when they encountered him as a person, they just felt, you know, he's pretty unimpressive, actually. And they wanted to discredit Paul because, really, they had their own agenda. There were those who opposed him, and they were Jews, mainly from Judea, right? They had migrated over to Corinth. And they claimed to be Christians, but they were preaching and teaching a false gospel in the Corinthian church. And one, one that was rooted in legalism, and it, it required observing the old Jewish laws and traditions, like circumcision, as a means to salvation. And one of the angles that these detractors took in discrediting him was that he, he carried no letters of recommendation. Now, in those days, it was common to have these letters of recommendation to give you credibility before others, right? Before social media, before the days of Google, you couldn't find information quickly like you could now on people, right? So really, the only way to get comfortable with the character of someone you didn't know um, was to have someone you did know, that you did trust, vouch for that person. And that often came in the form of these letters of recommendation. And this was important because oftentimes people would take advantage of someone's good name and often use the more famous name of Paul or Jesus for their own personal benefit. right? You know, I, I, I get something like this that happens to me pretty regularly. Um, I don't know, somehow, somehow someone finds our, our uh, email addresses from our website, and probably a few times a year I get these random requests from These brothers or sisters usually from like Africa or India and they claim to be leading a growing ministry and usually it involves children and they're asking for prayer and the whole email is just kind of overflow like overflowing with all this over-the-top Christianese right like we are blessed to see the Lord's work being done in Nigeria but the children are unable to afford Bibles blessed be his name right And then, I know it's fake, because it always ends with, please send $5,000 to this Western Union account so that we may continue the Lord's work here. You know, and it's a bit frightening how often I get these, because I think it means somebody's giving these guys money, right? It's obviously working, and so they're relentless. And, you know, these letters of recommendation, they played an important part in separating who was real and who was fake, who was a phony, who was authentic? You know, my wife and I, um, Kim, attended a wedding last month of a couple that had met online through a Christian dating site over a year ago. And, and you know, they were matched together, but the bride, she was kind of hesitant to meet this guy for the first time. And she was already kind of skeptical about the whole online dating thing, and she didn't know anything about him. And, and somehow I think she found out through Facebook or something that Kim and I actually knew, knew him. And so she actually reached out to us and she asked us, like, "What did, what is this guy like? Is he a good guy? Do you recommend him? And and so, yeah, we said, you know what? He's a really good guy. And I think you should go out and meet him and just see where it might lead. And, you know, apparently our opinion swayed her enough to, to go out and meet him. And, and they got married last month. And, you know, we were his letter of recommendation, you know. And I reminded him of that. <laughs> he owe us. <laughs> and... You know, I think this is really what these letters were designed for, is to bring trust and credibility when there was so little to go on. But when you really study, you know, the Church of Corinth, they were actually a pretty messed up group. If you read through these letters, First and Second Corinthians, it becomes very obvious. So it's kind of ironic that some people in the church are, you know, demanding these credentials from Paul because the people in this church, they, they really weren't, you know, standing from a position where they could look down on others. And we know this because in 1 Corinthians, in Paul's previous letter to them, he gives us some color on what they're like. And, and he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, you know, Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revelers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But notice what Paul says. He says, And such were some of you. You know, in the past, these people in this church, they were defined by their sin. They were idolaters. They were adulterers. They were thieves, drunkards, and swindlers. But all that has now changed. What they were is no longer who they are. And then Paul goes on to say in verse 11, But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And he's speaking to really the majority of the church that had been transformed by Christ, and Jesus had justified them, and Jesus was now sanctifying them, meaning they were now becoming more like Christ day by day, and all this is through the work of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is reminding them of the transformation that he had witnessed in their own midst and they were no longer prisoners in bondage to their sin. They were now the greatest proof of the power of God. They were now his letters of recommendation. And I think this is the first step to being a witness for Jesus Christ, that you must let God into your life. When we surrender to him and we allow him to do his work in and through us, and the power of the Holy Spirit, we become transformed. We're made new. And I think it's interesting that Paul ma- takes this common practice of letters of recommendation and he, he uses a strategy of Jesus here, right? He, he kind of pulls the rug out from underneath them, his distractors, and he says, yeah, you know, you're right, I, I don't have letters of recommendation for you because you, all those people that you sit and worship with at church, you are my letters of recommendation. And he says, the greatest proof that I am the minister of the gospel is not found in some meaningless parchments of paper with someone's signature on it. It's your changed lives. God by his spirit has written his signature on your lives. This is the proof that I am his servant. Now I find it kind of interesting that Paul chooses to go this route to prove his credentials. Especially since his detractors, they were Jewish and they seemed to value the Jewish traditions and the Jewish pedigree. You know, in Paul's letters to the Philippians, we see that Paul, he has a very impressive resume. It says in Philippians 3, If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. And, you know, I, that's probably the approach I would have taken. But Paul doesn't go this route with the Corinthian church. And I think it's also to, important to remember that Paul, he, you know, he performed more than his share of miracles in his day. In the book of Acts, we find that he, he had healed the lame. He had cast out demons. And in Acts chapter 19, it says something really remarkable. It says, and God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that, he had, that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. And that, that's pretty amazing power, isn't it? Even Jesus didn't demonstrate that kind of power in his healing ministry. And so if anything could validate his standing as an apostle, surely it would be these miraculous powers that he had. But notice, he he doesn't appeal to his pedigree, he doesn't appeal to his resume, or even his miraculous powers as proof of his authority. Instead, he appeals to the lives that have been changed through his ministry and under his shepherding care. And why does he do this? Because in Paul's mind, the greatest miracle that we can witness on earth is the miracle of a transformed life. A life that is forever changed by the power of the gospel. A life that was dark and broken and full of sin, but now it's clean, restored, and fully righteous. That is the greatest miracle of God. And I think this is actually very instructive for us even today, because our tendency and our desire is to want to witness these lesser miracles of God. We want to experience the power of God through the exercise of our spiritual gifts. We want to see God work through prophecy and healing. We want to see God answer prayer. And there's nothing wrong with these things, to so desire these things. But what should be our greatest desire? What's the greatest miracle of God that we can witness on earth? It's the miracle of seeing someone come to Christ. It's the miracle of seeing someone become more like Christ. And to me, you know, that, the greatest miracle that we saw, even in our brother Charlie, was not so much that he, he healed so quickly know, from his sickness. It was just like before we knew it, he was, he was really in bad shape, and, all, and before we knew it, he was completely healed. But I think the greatest miracle was actually seeing how God had literally changed him as a person in just the span of two short weeks. Are we willing to pray for that same miracle? That's a difficult prayer to pray. You know, it's not give me or heal me or show me, but just make me more like your son. Lord, just transform me. No matter what it requires of me, my health, my happiness, whatever it may cost, I don't care, just make me more like Jesus. How many of us can pray that prayer? How many of us desire to see that miracle? You know, when people ask me um, what I like most about being a pastor, um, I never have to think twice about that answer. You know, I, I just love hearing testimony after testimony of God's working in people's lives at this church. It's by far the best part of my job. And I, I feel like I get a front row seat to the transforming power of the gospel. And, you know, I, I love hearing you guys tell your stories because, you know, I know it's not just, it's not just your story, is it? When you tell your story, you're telling God's greater story within your story. He's the one who's writing your story. And being a witness not only means letting God into your life to do his transforming work, but it means letting people into our lives to see what God is doing. And if we want to be a witness of God, we need to commit ourselves to opening up our lives so that others can see us for who we are, all the good, all the bad. And this is why Paul says in, in verse 2 of 2 Corinthians see, chapter 3, see, you yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And I think this is, this is a struggle for a lot of us. It's easy to just keep people at a distance. We feel more safe just sharing our lives with you know, our inner circle. But God's call is that our lives would be something that is known and read by all. You know, in the ministry of the early church, the apostles, they were performing miracles left and right. And the Jews in Jerusalem, they, they really saw them as a threat to their way of life. And so they were doing everything in their power they could do to stop them, much like they tried to stop Jesus. And upon healing a lame beggar, Outside the temple, Peter and John are brought before the very same council that had condemned Jesus. And they are asked, by what power, by what authority do you do these things? And without hesitation, Peter tells them that it is by the name of Jesus, the very one that they crucified, and that there is no other name by which anyone can be saved. And we see the council's reaction to Peter's response in Acts chapter 4. It says this, Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Now, I don't know why, but when I read this, it's just so amusing to me. Because just picture it, like here are these distinguished, highly educated, powerful men who had successfully crucified Jesus and who are now looking to go after his closest disciples, and they're kind of dumbfounded. They're speechless. They're like looking at themselves like who who are these guys? They're just a bunch of uneducated blue collar fishermen. Where did they find the power to perform miracles and the charisma to lead thousands? And then suddenly it dawns on them, right? It says they, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Only Jesus could take a ragtag bunch of nobodies and transform them into something that would shock the world. And here's the best part, I think. It says this, it says, but seeing the man who was healed... Standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. You know, the apostles in the first century, they they didn't have the four spiritual laws. They didn't have gospel tracts to share. But what they did have was far more powerful. They had transformed lives. The most powerful witness of Jesus to an unbelieving world that any person can possess is a transformed life. People can argue religion, people can argue theology and faith, but they cannot explain away a life that has been changed by God. But notice, none of this would have happened had this lame beggar who sat in front of the temple had not been so open about his needs, his weaknesses, the desperation of his own situation, and, you know, it's easy to look at him and say, well, you know, of course he can make his needs known like, in a very public way. Like, what, what does he have to lose? But, you know, I think sometimes God brings us to those exact same places that we might realize our need for him and cry out to him. And I find that it's exactly in this place that God tends to show his power. But it takes courage to show that we're weak It takes faith to share our stories. You know, um, I've had a good friend I've known for over 30 years who um, is a pastor out in Toronto and he's for much of my life been an older spiritual brother to me. And since my college days, I would visit him almost every year in his church out in Canada and, you know, we'd just stay up late talking and he'd share all these things that God is doing and His life, and in the lives of the people at his church, and and I got to meet uh, a lot of them, and just became friends with them over the years. And it was just story after story of big and small ways in which God was working and changing people and answering prayers. And you know, I remember always coming away after having visited him, just so challenged, so encouraged. But I remember there was a part of me that felt like, you know, how come I don't have stories like that in my life? And it began to dawn on me that, you know, maybe part of the reason why I don't have stories like this is that because I'm not all that open about sharing my own stories with others when I do have them. And I kind of committed myself to sharing about God's work in my life as much as I could. And and since then, over the years, you know, God has really given me so many stories and testimonies of his faithfulness in my life. And, and I don't want you to mishear me. I'm not saying that somehow we can manipulate God, like if we promise him that we're going to make this arrangement where he's going to, you know, answer every prayer in our life that we're going to just faithfully tell of his works. No, it's, it's not like that. But what I am saying is that the more I shared about God's work in my life, the more stories I found that I had to tell. And as soon as I shared one testimony, it seemed that another would follow in its place. And it was one after another, just grace upon Grace. And I think this is what it means to be a witness of Jesus Christ. You know, we, we get so caught up in thinking it's just about telling people about the gospel. Yes, it is that. But it's more than that. It means that we share openly when God is at work in our lives. It means that when we need prayer, when God answers prayer, uh, we tell about that to others. When God provides in ways, we don't expect it. We just, Constantly bear witness to the goodness and the glory of God. Testifying to his faithfulness. Not just to unbelievers, but to believers as well. To our brothers and sisters within this community. And when we do that, we are being a witness of Jesus Christ. We have witnessed his power in his life, our life, and we're just testifying of that power, that goodness. And, you know, like Charlie, we have to make this conscious decision to kind of put ourselves out there. And that requires faith. And we can feel self-conscious, you know, what will people think of me? Um, sometimes w- maybe what's holding us back is we might feel embarrassed for God. Like, what if God doesn't come through? Or maybe we're not even sure if we believe that God is real or that he even cares. And we all have different reasons to keep things to ourselves. But what do we lose out when we do? Um, you know, I—the bidding on whether to share this tonight, because I feel like I always talk about, you know, um, my cancer story and ki- my wife's cancer story, because it was so formative, I think, in our spiritual f- growth and our, our faith. But um, you know, when my wife got sick, um, as soon as I found out, I started emailing everyone that I knew, um, just to pray for us. I honestly, at that point, I felt like there was nothing else that I could do. And I started sending out so many these mass emails that Google thought I was trying to spam, use my account to spam people. So I actually shut down my account, and I didn't know what to do. I was like, <laughs> "What am I going to do now?" And you know, a friend said, "Why don't you just start a blog and just share your prayer request that way?" And I was, you know, there was a part of me that was a little bit hesitant to do that because I'm like, you know, you put it out on a blog that everyone can see it. And you um, know, I ended up doing it, and we just. Through this blog, ended up not just sharing prayer requests, but really being just very open and honest about, you know, our journey of faith through cancer. And it was actually pretty remarkable what God did through that whole experience, is, um, you know, people like our nurses um, were somehow reading the blog and, and just sharing with us just how it had impacted them so profoundly. I mean, one of our nurses named Kate, she was just, she wasn't a believer, and yet she saw the way that we were just walking through you know, this, this cancer that she'd seen so many other patients walk through and not to lift ourselves up in any way but you know, really we just through the prayers of, of God's people and just the faith that God had granted like, God had really used our, our cancer to really minister to so many and just profess how, and declare how good he is and it's not just because of the healing I think what actually drew people into you know, our story more was just how to deal Um, with crisis, how faith plays a part in that. And, you know, honestly, looking back, like, I I, I wouldn't have changed that for a minute. You know, that that God had used our story to somehow point people to, to his greater story. And, you know, it's so easy, I think, to go into the fellowship hall after church and to keep our conversations kind of at that level one, Right? It's just all fact-based dialogue. Right, The weather, local sports teams, our vacation plans, our kids, our careers. It's very easy to kind of stay in that realm. And y- there's nothing really wrong with that, but there is something wrong if it can really go beyond that. And so I want to challenge us as a church to, to push past that superficial level of conversation and to really just... Be a witness of Christ in our daily conversations with one another. And what's God doing in our lives these days? What is He teaching you? Let me tell you what the Lord's been pressing on my heart. How did you come to faith? Tell me about your testimony. Let me share with you mine. How can I pray for you? What are some things that are keeping you up at night? Can you pray for me for these things? And these are the kinds of questions, I think, that take the conversation beyond just level one and allow us to really be a witness and witness God's work in other people's life. We have this prayer ministry here, I think, that's filled with testimonies of God's work in the lives of so many people in this church. It's just story upon story of God's goodness and faithfulness and And I think everyone who takes part of this ministry, you know, is so encouraged because you you see God at work in real time, in real people's lives. You know, you see people open up with some very difficult prayer requests. And you see God working. Maybe not always answering in the ways that we hope. But God is working. By his spirit. In his people. For his glory. And that is my hope and prayer for all of us. That as a church, that we would not be known by our teaching ministry, by our worship or by our singing, by our children's programs, by the size of our offerings, or even known as a house of prayer. I pray that more than anything, that our church would be known for the lives that have been transformed by God. That people outside of these walls would look at us and say, that we've been radically changed by the power of the gospel and to give glory to God as a result. Let's bow our heads in prayer. You know, the first step to to being a witness for Jesus Christ is to surrender your life to him, to let God into your life. And I, I don't want to presume that everyone in this room has taken that first step. But perhaps you're, you're in a place where you feel you have nowhere else to turn. And like the lame beggar, you, you find yourself in a position where you have nothing to lose. Pray that you'd surrender your, your life to Christ. Let him rewrite your story. Ask him that he might open your eyes to his greater story of love and sacrifice, of hope and redemption. There are so many people in this room who can testify to a living God who lives in his people. I hope you can see that. I hope that people outside these walls would see it. And there are others in this room. Perhaps God is doing a work in your life, but you've chosen to not let other people in to see it. And it it grieves me Because there's so many who could be blessed. They could just see the work that God is doing in your life. And I believe God wants to do more in your life. And he wants you to be a witness of his work in your life so that others could see the power of God, that he's real, that he's loving, that he cares. that they might see the miracle of a transformed life. If you're that person, just pray that God would grant you the humility to surrender your shame, surrender your inhibitions, and just let God shine in and through your life. Let's just take a moment, and uh, the worship team will, in a little bit, uh, lead us in one song, and then we're going to continue in worship um, at the Lord's table as we partake in communion together. So.